0: Welcome to the Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. I need a different boom arm for my microphone. It's not long enough, so I have to like lean super far forward in order to get close enough. That's no good. This is some real problems. First world. Yeah, or otherwise. (laughs) What if I raise this up and I just scoot, scooty scoot forward here? Ooh, this is much more comfortable. I get to see your forehead. This is awesome. It's perfect. This is this is, this is is somewhat awkward. You got a great beard going on. You know, I like it. I'm just trying it out for a little bit. I can barely see it, though. Oh, now, oh, there you go. I can't have my desk up that high. It's not <laughs> conducive to me working. So
1: we moved into the new house. The new house is nice. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah, thank you. This is the basement. My old house had very few windows. This house has so many windows that I don't know where we're going to put all of our cabinets and stuff that leaned up against the walls in the old house. <laughs> we might be selling some things.
0: Yeah, well, that's always what happens. That's like a, it's a good time, you know. Moving is a great time to go through and start to purge a bunch of things that you realize you don't need anymore. Yeah, just let it go. You go full merry Condominium on that stuff, and then you hold every object. And you're like, does this bring me joy? And then if it doesn't, you throw it away or whatever that book says to do. I don't know what book you're talking about. Oh, um, yeah, never mind. That joke's gonna fall flat then, like most of them. Well, oh, that's true. That's <laughs> just par for the course at this point.
1: So uh we well we just all got back from Elixir Conf. unfortunately
0: Anna is out today but that's all right we we can make up what Anna would have said <laughs> So I had an interesting life thing before we get into elixir conf talk and an interesting life thing happen where interesting is just more mostly funny. So I, I was running a whole bunch for a while there. Yeah. And I hurt my foot. I'm not really sure what I did to my foot, but because I'm like a privileged white dude, I went to the doctor and I. then they were like, go to physical therapy. And I'm the jury's still out for me on the merits of physical therapy. But I went over there and I was like, OK, cool. well, I can probably pay someone to stretch my foot or something i guess is what's going to happen here so i went in there first day i don't know what they're what they're going to do or whatever and their methodology for fixing my foot was to take a like a piece of like curved plastic yeah and then they like lubed it up with like this they referred to it as butter i don't know what it the substance was but it was effectively butter Like cocoa butter yeah something like that put it on the the plastic bit and then just grabbed my foot and started scraping my foot with it and it hurt what like a lot (laughs) Like weird. A whole lot. Yeah, I guess the the idea is it helps realign the fibers in your muscles or something like that.
1: Wait, wait, this was physical therapy. This is physical
0: therapy, at least that's what it says on the sign outside. Does it also say Antero card reading? (laughs) Legitimately. It hurt a lot at first, and then it did start to feel good. And I'm not sure if that was me willing it to feel good or if it was something else. But then they had me do a bunch of other stuff, just like random like stretches and stuff like that. But then at one point, the lady was like, all right, come over here and sit in this chair. I went and sat in the chair and she brought a cup over and the cup was filled with marbles. And she dumps out all the marbles on the floor and then is like, all right, pick up all of these marbles and put them back into the cup. With your with your foot. That actually makes sense. I mean, a lot of physical therapy is just exercise, right? Right, 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 right. But the whole time I'm just looking at this, going, how many other people's buttery feet have picked up these marbles and put them back in this cup? Did you have to drink from the cup? Well, I had to drink from the cup. That would be that would be that'd be that'd be ridiculous. But the whole time I was just like, I've got butter all over my feet. I mean, I'm gonna pick up these foot marbles and put them back in this cup. And how many other people's Foot marbles, like, how many, Where have these foot marbles been? I don't know anything about these foot marbles. <laughs> yeah, and you—they probably don't clean foot no, marbles. They did not. There was not a sink in there. Like, I don't know. It's
1: really bad whenever they confuse them with the mouth marbles for oh. people who just had jaw surgery. <laughs> All right. Well, so yeah, pick up these pick up these foot marbles
0: with your mouth and put them back in the. So jar. I had my foot scraped, and then I picked up some foot marbles, and that was my experience going to physical therapy. So does your foot feel better? Tough to say. It feels about the same. <laughs> I think you have to do it several more times, you know, at, at 10 easy payments of like $120 per visit or something like that. So, so are you going
1: back or are you just buying your own foot marbles and a squeegee for putting butter on the bottom of your
0: foot? Sorry. So, um, <laughs> you broke all the hilarity. Here. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm on call and I just got paged. Uh-oh. My bad. Is the world broken? This will take just a second. I'm sorry. That's okay. No problem. Unfortunately, like, I can't not be on call.
1: I can't wait for my daughter to edit this section about foot marbles. Oh, I know, right?
0: Foot marbles.
1: She's going to be dying.
0: So, yeah. So, I picked up the foot marbles. Hello,
1: Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> should I put subliminal messages into the podcast? Like, if you take every third word, it says, we miss you, Juliet. You should come home this weekend. No, <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm going to start leaving her messages through the podcast. I'm almost done. Oh, that's okay. I'm just talking. You'll have no idea what I was saying. Well, actually. Well, actually. Well, actually. I have had more people come up to me and talk to me about your internet voice than anything else we've talked really? about. <laughs> <laughs> they think it's hilarious. I told them that's the only way that you talk as soon as we shut off recording.
0: You normally force your voice to be deeper. Come on. Don't do this to me right now. Uh-oh. I don't mind being on call generally. I don't like being on call. I respect the fact that it has to happen. I have like very specific things that I care about.
1: What kind of specific things? Tell me about your relationship with your mother. I feel like I'm being a psychologist here. I'm just going to give everybody the play-by-play. I have never seen chris's face look so serious he is
0: definitely solving problems take this kind of stuff seriously that's good i and also take on calls like super seriously like there's certain things that are worth paging people over there's certain things that aren't and if you're gonna page people then like it needs to be actionable every page needs to have a list of steps to like start diagnosing and debugging and trying things and whatever else that's how that needs to be in order to make on call work for everybody I take the, the systematizing of on-call really seriously.
1: It's like any bug ticket, right? If you don't give me steps to reproduce it, it's kind of worthless. And especially if you want to give me a call to fix something in production, if it's that important and you don't give me steps to reproduce it. Unless you don't know, that could be it too. All
0: right, I, I think I know what I'm doing now.
1: All right, fixing production one bite at a time. Are you fixing production like in the in the Erlang video? Did you just like log into IEX and retype a function and reload the module right there in IEX?
0: I wish. That'd be that'd be pretty awesome. That would be pretty dope. I guess we're gonna have to put a link to the to the Erlang video in our show notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost done. Ho- hopefully for real this time. <laughs> Should we leave all this in? Yeah, absolutely. This is a good podcast right here. This is solid podcasts. <laughs> elixir in real life. <laughs> How do I how do I do this?
1: Although I can hear the dissension right now. Isn't this Elixir and Erlang and OTP? Just let it fail. It'll restart and everything will be fine.
0: That's not how this works. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not how it works. Well, it, it can be helpful. Yeah.
1: And we still make mistakes in restarting and we have other problems like browser caches and all kinds of technology you have to deal with. We can't solve all the world's problems. Should we put a disclaimer in here for your employer to let them know that You're not sharing your screen or showing code, so
0: I don't need to sign it (laughs) in. Yeah, I'm not even looking at actual code. Okay. (laughs) All right, I'm done. I'm fixed. Fixed it. Yay! I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Where were we? Foot marbles. Oh yeah, foot you marbles. You can leave in the "I gotta go fix something in production real quick" part, but then just cut all of the middle parts out.
1: All right, we'll leave that
0: as a note for Juliet. <laughs> Thanks, Juliet. <laughs> we appreciate you. So yes, so I had I had to pick up foot marbles, and that was my therapy session.
1: That would be kind of weird. It's like you ever been to like, had a, like a full body massage? Exactly one time. Uh, yeah, they they put oils on you, and then. I don't know what it is, but when they do my feet and I get oil between my toes, it's like the worst feeling ever. I feel
0: like we're really going to gross a lot of people out with this episode. Yeah, maybe. We've entered into that territory.
1: Some people are pretty grossed out by feet. Some people really appreciate feet. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had two in my life. One was when I was in the Middle East because it was like $5 for a 30-minute massage. And then this like old Filipino lady came in and just beat the crap out of my back for 30 minutes. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I could barely get up from the table. I felt like jello. Mmm, jello. What flavor? Uh, I'm probably um more of a Are you a lemon lime kind of guy? I, I was thinking National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where they bring the lime jello with cat food mm. floating in mm-hmm. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or or uh um maybe I'm from Utah and I have lime jello with shredded carrots floating in it. Is that a thing? I have no idea. So so just getting back from ElixirConf.
0: Wait, I have one other piece of... <coughs> I actually prepared. You're, you're taking me off my game. You're, I, you're ta- I, I have notes. I have notes here. We're going to talk about ElixirConf. That's going to happen because I, mean, I think we're contractually obligated to talk about it. <laughs> just with ourselves. But I did want to point out one of the best things I did at ElixirConf was I started reading a philosophy of software design. Oh, Kind of a newer book that just came out. It's really good. Highly recommend. It's very thin, but pretty dense. And uh, I'm not very far into it, but so far I, I really, really like it. And it's mostly a book on how to manage complexity. Who wrote it? Uh, John uh, Osterhout, Osterhout. Something like that? He's been around for a while. It's good stuff.
1: I'll have to check it out. So when you first started to say it, what popped in my head was Psychology of Computer Programming, which is another really good book. But uh, now you brought up books, so I have to, I have to talk about Piftis. <laughs>
0: The book that the, that that never ends.
1: That yeah, just keeps on going. I and and I think I figured out my problem is that there are exercises in the book, but I don't actually have answers to those exercises, and it drives me crazy. I'm not sure if I got them right, and then some of them I'm like I, I don't know. So here's what I've decided: I'm just gonna read the dang thing all the way through and not worry about the exercises, and then we'll we'll see how I feel at the end. Mm-hmm. And maybe I end up needing to read it again, but at least we'll be able to talk about it for real.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds like a good plan.
1: I did meet a few people at Elixir Conf who who like, pulled the book out of their backpack and, and showed it to me. They said, you, you made me buy this, and my condolences to them. <laughs> I hope they survive because that
0: book has been, uh, been rough on me. You have a bad relationship with that book at this point. Like mean, Now it's personal. I think that's half the problem.
1: Well, it's it's because I can't handle not knowing. So when I have a question in there, I just want to dig into it and dig into it. And that's a deep well.
0: You can talk about Alexa Conf after this, but you know, this is an actual ongoing discussion in education, right? Like this is the fundamental problem with constructivism. We're not a fundamental problem. Like the constructivism is actually a really great way to teach people stuff. But one of the problems with constructivism is that if you ask people to solve a problem, if they get the wrong answer, they don't know if it was because they formed the problem wrong in their head or they just did some of the steps wrong. Like they they don't know at what point they failed. And I think that's what you're running up against, right? Is like, I don't have the answer, so I can't check my work. So I feel like I got the right answer, but maybe I didn't. And I'm not sure why I didn't get the right answer. Did I fundamentally not understand anything or did I just like not do division correctly? Like, and it's hard to, it's hard to figure out what the, what the difference is.
1: Right. And even if you're given the answer, if you're not given the steps to get the answer, you have the same kind of issue. Like I I got the answer wrong, but why? And I think that that's why sometimes it can be really hard for self-learning. Granted, there are people who are self-learners. I learn really well by just talking to people. They don't even have to be. A professor or somebody who really understands subject just going back and forth helps me a lot but even being a self-learner and and a go-getter who's trying to to learn new things constantly you can have these setbacks where you're not sure why something's wrong or right because you don't know where the step went wrong and I think that's one place we're having it doesn't have to be a professor but even just a friend that maybe knows something about the subject between the two of you you might be able to figure that out and it helps a lot this is why I like pair programming, but that's a different subject.
0: I was talking to someone about this, uh, about a related thing, actually just like last night. It was with a group of people who I would consider them to be some of the smartest programmers that I've ever talked with, hung out with, been friends with, all that kind of stuff. Like they're just really knowledgeable about the things that they're really knowledgeable about. We sort of were talking about this idea of being smart. And I think it's actually in a lot of ways incorrect to say that, you know, they're the they're smart, smarter or whatever, because it doesn't really mean anything that's like you can't sort of have an objective view of like what that means in a way that's useful. You know, there's all these like silly IQ, whatever things that don't really matter in the real world.
1: Most members of Mensa work at gas stations or something
0: like that. There's, there's rubrics about that kind of stuff that, are, that that kind of prove that those aren't useful scales but the thing that I actually feel like separates those people from a lot of the others that I've worked with and is definitely like an inspiration to me is it's not that they were gifted with some like innate intelligence or understanding of how computers work or how this like subset of programming or distributed systems or machine learning works it's that they were willing to work on it much harder than everyone else like Penn and Teller uh, have this bit I think Penn talks about about this, about doing magic. And he's like, basically, the for any like truly interesting magic trick, the key to it is that there is some part of that trick that a magician was willing to work on for far longer than any reasonable human being would expect them to work on it. They worked on some inane tiny piece of minutiae that was the core of the trick, and that's the real magic: is that no one would believe that anyone would ever work on that thing for that long. And I feel like that's a little bit true about. The people that i really admire and you know many many different fields definitely in programming is they were willing to work on it much longer and then like seek out that information from other people and gather all these different sources far longer and with far more you know vigor than anyone would uh, would expect them to
1: i don't think it matters what field you're in if you're a professional baseball player at the top of your game talent is a is a minimal thing I think passion and like the willingness to maybe let's if we we're talking about baseball to get up and hit a baseball a hundred times every morning in a batting cage or, or whatever or even just to swing a bat over and over without even hitting a baseball and trying to to eke out that little bit of extra performance and learn that one more thing that sometimes only comes with lots and lots of
0: practice. It Sometimes it's just sheer effort. It's just sheer effort and determination just to keep going through it. Like you going through purely functional data structures is at this point just like, it's just going to take sheer effort. (laughs) I am enjoying it. The payoff is, is really good. But you know what I'm saying? Like, Struggling with it really doesn't say anything negative about you. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm not saying that anybody was making that claim or you were making that claim. But I just mean that generally speaking, like not knowing anything doesn't really say anything negative about anybody. Because at the end of the day, like the people who are quote unquote good at this, the reason they're good at it is probably because they worked at it like a whole lot, like a whole, whole lot. And there's nothing necessarily innate about that other than maybe a predisposition to keep carrying on, even when it's long past the point where it was probably reasonable to keep carrying on. So what do you do to keep carrying on whenever you find something difficult? I think I do what you do, which is you find people to bounce ideas off of or to help explain it or whatever. Um, I mean, it totally depends on the subject matter, you know, for the raft stuff that I've been working on. I mean, that took me six months. To get kind of right, and the majority of that time was reading, rereading, prototyping pieces of that paper in order to understand the subtleties of it. Because that paper, while it you know it's it's billed as like the understandable consensus algorithm, that paper is subtle as hell. There are things in it that are so subtly discussed and defined that if you don't get them right, nothing works. Like it's just the thing is brittle. Uh, you know this is also part of why you can't like cherry pick pieces out of that paper and have them all work because that paper is super super subtle and all the pieces have to go together or you don't have a thing called raft anymore those pieces don't compose in a way that's safe without all of them it'd be like it's uh it's a little bit like saying like I have addition but all the only invariant that I that I worked out was like commutivity you should write this down yeah I'm, I'm working on a blog post. <laughs> Oh, nice, nice. I look forward to reading it. But in any case, so if in that kind of, in that case, like I just did it a bunch of times, you know, I just read it over and over again. I like laid on my hammock and reread it and really tried to think through it and then tested it tested my knowledge of it until i got something that kind of worked so you got up every morning and hit a hundred baseballs yeah well i mean sometimes for <laughs> certain problems you have to do that with some breaks in between but uh and and not every problems is worth doing it doing that you know otherwise it's finding other people who are interested in being able to ask them questions about it and seeking out people to help you validate your assumptions and or invalidate your assumptions that's usually my case i gotta invalidate them <laughs> And I think I think there's something to this idea that it's it's very, very subtle and very case dependent. So I can only speak for me, but I know for a fact I'm basically the sum total of the five to six people that I'm closest to at any given moment. So if I'm hanging out with people who are also super driven and really like pushing the boundaries of whatever it is that they're into regardless of the field. That is a motivator to me to also do that because it's part of my social makeup at that point. You know, likewise like before I jumped down the path of that led me to elixir like I was hanging out with a bunch of people right after college who, you know, they were great people, they were all nice, they were all my friends, but they were also sort of just doing whatever. Like they were sort of working jobs, weren't enthused about anything. That's fine. Like that's a that is a way to live life, but it wasn't it wasn't interesting to me. And, and as soon as I started hanging out with people who were like really, really driven, that was a motivator for me that led me down like a five, six year long path that took me to where I am now.
1: I think that's what what happened to me too. I had I had a, a very good uh, set of people that I worked in a project with who were going out to meetup groups and stuff like that all the time. Long before Meetup was around, I had never heard of these groups uh, and started going to them. Then I ended up running. A couple groups for about eight years and, and probably would still be if I hadn't moved. But I think that user groups are a fantastic place to find those motivated people who want to learn. I mean, one guy, I ended up working with him quite a bit. I was driving 100 miles each way to run a, a group because I, I worked 100 miles from my home too. I'm glutton for punishment. And this guy shows up to the meetup and, you know, I could, he was new to development. And he had written a few things. I started talking to him. And he says, oh, yeah, I I live in uh, Rolla, Missouri. And I was like, I live eight miles from you. (laughs) And, And when I saw how motivated he was, I gravitated towards him. I just had to know him. Now we've become really good friends. And in five or six years, he went from... You know, remote help desk talking on the phone to people calling in and saying, I can't open my CD-ROM to he's a lead developer at a company writing Elixir. And he's fantastic to talk to. Yeah, it's just amazing to be around motivated people and, and motivated people create more motivated people. Just like positivity creates positivity, negativity creates negativity. So surround yourself with positive,
0: motivated learners. I find a great place to do that is at conferences. Much like Elixir Conf. Great Segway. That was good. It was good. I could I
1: could almost ride on a two-wheeled vehicle without falling over. It's
0: also the hallmark of any good podcast that you have to call out all your good Segways, thus ruining the Segway. That's right. But this Segway had flames painted on the side. That's true. It was, it was so pretty, awesome. It was a pretty rad Segway. Sorry, also, the whole time you were like, you know, I used to drive 100 miles, all I could think of in my head was like, and I would walk 100 miles <laughs> just... <laughs> just to write some elixir at your door <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: my my favorite da, part of that da, song da. is da, da, da. Uh, what does it say um and when i haber i know i'm going to be i'm going to be the only man who habers with you or something like that and da, nobody da, their, yeah nobody in their <laughs> right mind knows what habering is so
0: and yeah, I, I would walk 100 <laughs> miles and i would uh spawn one million more.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay, we we're degrading. We're de- <laughs> so Elixirconf. <laughs> so ElixirConf. Uh where most of the talks were better than our singing.
0: Um, <laughs> well that's not saying much.
1: <laughs> so uh, let's see. I showed up uh, Monday and and helped out at ner- Nerves Training on Tuesday with uh, Justin Schneck and uh, Frank Hunlith and friends of the show. Friends of the show. <laughs> name <laughs> name dropping. And Connor Connor Rigby was helping out too. And friend they, of the show. Friend of the show. He was on the show. I know. Guest of the show. <laughs> i guess is that better than friend i don't show? know
0: there's there's probably a tier ranking that i'll let other people decide yeah
1: let's let somebody else draw that pyramid out so it, it was really cool training i think it was fantastic in one day they came in and made an entire touch screen seven inch touchscreen kiosk that used nerves and phoenix and Ha- you you could add a slider you could really do anything you want but they added a slider that would turn up the brightness and down the brightness of the screen and then a signature block like you would have on if you're going to sign your name for your credit card processing or anything like that and that was pretty amazing to see that go from some of the people who had never touched nerves before to being able to have a front end on a touch screen in one day that's awesome yeah so i i Talked to Justin afterwards and picked up the kit that he had because he had a couple left. And I, I think I'm going to maybe use uh, Scenic ins- instead of Phoenix and and try to do do a touch panel for automating my office just because it'll be fun to do. You know, like I, I could buy a panel for $400 or I could spend 10,000 hours worth of my time creating a panel, so
0: and <laughs> what's your time really worth at that point i mean come on <laughs> nothing scenic seems cool that was a uh, boyd's talk at, at Elixirconf and he was unveiling i think he's i mean he's been working on it since like Elixirconf orlando i mean he talked about it back then he already hinted at it maybe i don't know if he was like actively working on it or not but seems like it's been in the pipe for a while
1: yeah, it was it was definitely there in Elixir Conf last year. I didn't go to the one in Orlando, but I went to the one last year. And since last year, I've been like, hey, hey, when are you gonna release this? Hey, hey, hey! I was super excited,
0: and mainly for for nerves development things like that. That seems like its natural place in the ecosystem is is nerves stuff, where you don't want to spin up an entire Chrome inside your nerves app.
1: Right. Uh, uh, I mean, a web browser is nice, and you can get a lot of people that do web development, front end stuff, and do lots of neat things but having a native open gl front end is, is pretty awesome
0: yeah yeah that seems good that seems like the right way to do it
1: so i, I i'm pretty excited just to play with it i did see somebody sent out on twitter uh, i wish i knew who it was that on the plane on the way home they made an on-screen keyboard
0: oh yeah i saw that i, I saw that making the rounds wait was that was that gerald did gerald gerald made the keyboard i think
1: i don't i don't
0: remember maybe yeah yeah friend of the show Uh, made that works for he works for Toyota Connected now
1: oh cool cool I always love seeing the the tweets and stuff and blog posts that come out right after a conference because it seems like the level of like playing and and cool stuff that people do skyrockets for a few weeks Mm mm-hmm Uh, And so I look forward to watching for those things that come out of motivated people coming home from a conference.
0: What did you think about the other very hotly talked about, well, talk, uh, which was Phoenix Live View? Phoenix Live View is, uh,
1: I think it's super cool. Now, I just came from living out in the middle of the woods, though. So, you know, some of the stuff that they were doing, I think, is more of an example of the power of it than what you should really do. Like like where they did 90 frames a second or whatever.
0: The animation thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just a, a demonstration of, hey, this is cool or whatever. You know, like this is, this is theoretically possible. I agree, but somebody is going to do it for real application. <laughs> I think it's very cool. So the problem is, it's like the two the two talks that everybody's like most excited about from Elixir Comp. I mean, do you think Do you think that's a fair a fair statement to say that scenic and live view were the are the two things that were most talked about post conference? That was that's been my impression, but I don't know if that's accurate. If maybe that's just bias
1: i i I would say in a in a lot of the a lot of the things i've seen and i mean phoenix is more widely used than a lot of stuff nerves is something that a lot of people are getting into that have never done hardware and people who have done hardware that want to do elixir are in that so i mean when you have the two biggest libraries so scenic coming in is really embraced by the nerves community i think
0: yeah like nerves people are, are very seem very excited about scenic
1: right and everybody likes a a GUI it's it's fun to be able to make a, a GUI I think for anything and and I think there are people thinking oh well I can make games with Elixir that have an OpenGL front end now so so that would be I think there's a lot of talk going around that and and Phoenix to be fair I mean, it's it's probably the biggest library use thing in the entire ecosystem so so yeah any anything that is in that platform will be big but I've seen a lot of talk around the periphery too about property testing
0: I mean, we had two talks on it. There was a through line throughout a lot of the talks that even if they weren't about property-based testing, they talked about property-based testing. And all, the hallway
1: track, right? I tried to record hallway track. I only remembered to pull up my microphone once, but almost every time I was in the hallway, that's what somebody was talking about. I mean, right after the
0: Phoenix talk and right after the scenic talk, that was the hallway
1: completely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People seem real abuzz about it. I mean, there's three distinct talks Just about property-based testing, uh, not including all the other throwaway mentions that happened. I only remembered two. No, there was three. There was was three specifically. Okay, so we have Michael Stalker who did... um, He's talking about how to choose properties. I I thought that was a really
1: well-presented talk. Mm-hmm. It and the very beginning of it you, you should go watch it anybody who hasn't because the beginning of that talk was it drew me in I actually was fixing some property-based tests for my job when I was sitting in the front of that talk because we ran into a big issue when I was talking to Claudio the day before that I was trying to solve but uh friend of the show friend of the show I ended up like stopping at the beginning because I was like what is going on and just looking up at the at him in the screen because i had no clue why is everything in the room completely silent <laughs> like you could hear the people breathing next to you that was really really well done intro i think so good job michael <laughs> and i think he had some uh, there was like a what eight properties ten property type i don't
0: of... i haven't actually sat down and watched the talk yet I, i've got a list i actually i think i only went to i think three talks the entire conference <laughs> Like, I, like, literally just didn't go to any of these talks just because I sort of assumed that, you know, they'll be online. I mean, they're coming out, like, the day that they happen. So, was, you know, I have a big backlog of stuff that I want to go watch. So, I mostly, I, I picked a couple of things that I felt like were important for me to be in there. You know, namely you know, knew the person speaking or something, nothing else was going on in that slot. But I ended up getting pulled aside just to like talk to people.
1: Yeah. I think I spent more time in the hallway at this conference than any other conference I've ever been at. And it wasn't because I didn't want to go to talks. I missed a lot of talks that I really wanted to see because I would be out in the hallway and end up getting pulled into a conversation and miss like a talk and a half and then you don't want to walk into a talk five minutes before it ends or 10 minutes before it ends. So good conversations out there. That was worth it to me is, is, you know, getting to know
0: people. And well in a lot of ways that's more useful, the best case scenario for a talk is that you're going to get somebody excited about something. You're probably not going to convey that much stuff in a talk. You're going to give people enough knowledge to go and Google things and start down the process of truly learning something. Right. It's like a 40 minute class. Yeah. Like you're you, you know, so your end goals are, are things like, Ah, just get people excited about this concept or make this concept more approachable or you know, give people the tools to go do this on their own to or to learn about this on their own. Um, so they have like the right words to go Google or expose people to this new thing they may not have heard about. Like that's that's like best case scenario. Right. You're not going to do much more than that because you don't have enough time. As a a speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have time to establish a pedagogy and then like guide, you know, 30 people, 40 people, 100 people through this, you know, constructivist method learning thing that's like perfectly tailored for everybody. Like you don't have time for any of that. You got 40 minutes. So yeah, your best case scenarios are very shallow, just generally speaking. And it gives people the tools to go learn other stuff. So in a lot of ways, talking with people outside of those talks is where you can start to go deep all those things you can start to, to say okay well i know these words now so how do i do this 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 and this and you, you start like tracking down answers to that stuff
1: because of that i try to hit the talks that i think i might have questions for the speaker afterwards or i already have some precursor knowledge and i and i want to see what they have to say well nuances maybe that are different
0: right 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 yeah no i i, I agree i think that's i think that's the right way to do it
1: and other than that i i watch them online like um one that i was i was sad that i missed when i was there was renee's talk on architecting flow which was not not the library or the package flow token api i think is was one of the things but really talking about the flow of of a process and data and a program and and i thought it was pretty fantastic talk
0: yeah that's one i've heard a lot of good things about that's that's pretty high up on my list to go back and watch yeah, and
1: he ha- also has a blog series that goes along with it. So you can go back and, that, and get some other information. So that that's really nice, too. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what
0: did you hit? Uh, I saw the keynotes.
1: I was actually interested in the typing stuff from jose's keynote that got pulled out
0: yeah I, I did you see the gist that he posted with an explanation of it i did not yeah there's a gist i'll find it that explains more about how the intersection types and what they were working on and it has the entire test suite for determining intersection types and stuff like that
1: i think i did see an email come across from i don't know if it
0: was the list server the github or i think it was posted on the forum no i think it might have been in like the core mailing list oh, okay yeah he, he posted a gist i'll find it and at the show notes Not of the implementation, but of like the test suite and then the description of how it worked. I think that is great
1: it's neat to see things that were experiments that could possibly be in the language just I think
0: that there's a lot of learning that goes into that and maybe understanding we've already talked about this a little bit but what did you think about jose's keynote just generally
1: uh, I thought it was pretty good I thought the moving forward and keeping the core kind of smaller and and making it available for people on the outside and we're getting to a mature point in the language where can't Changes as much. That's kind of the stuff that I really got out of it, and, and I thought that was good.
0: I, I agree. I think, I, th- I thought the keynote was good. My initial reaction to it when he first, you know, kind of let in with, well, let me, let me, let me try to explain. in the t- keynote, he talked a lot about here's the things that we tried, you know, here's the things that we've tried over the past year or so, and here's what's going to make it, and here's what's not, and here's why it's not. And the majority of them aren't going into the language. Like, the majority of things they tried aren't going to be added to the language. So, you know, the things that they talked about were stream data, uh, HTTP, the type system thing, which no one knew about uh, outside the core team, as far as I know. I mean, maybe some select people did, but I don't, I think the majority of people hadn't heard That they were doing that. And um, something else that I'm forgetting. But in any case, in in, in each case, they were basically like, these things aren't actually going to go in. Here's why. We tried it. It's not what wasn't the right fit. We didn't want to encourage these patterns. I don't know. Like whatever it was. Right. And I actually really appreciated that honesty and transparency. And in and, and a lot of ways, like vulnerability, because it'd be pretty easy to get up there and say, well, one, not even bring it up and just ignore it and ignore all those things and then just let them kind of fade. And at the same time, it would be good to get up there. Like they didn't have to tell us that they worked on a type system. They didn't have to, they didn't even have to bring that up because no, no one knew. <laughs> here, here, check out all the cool stuff we did. Yeah. I mean, they could have not brought that up at all, but I think I, I appreciated the sort of vulnerability of we tried this thing it didn't work. That's okay. We learned a lot from it. Maybe you guys will learn something. You you all will learn something from it. And we, this is how we better ourselves as a community. And now the future's in your hands. Um, and I, so I appreciated that sentiment. I think I was a little bit bummed when he was like, you know what? The next five years, like, we're really not looking to change a whole lot. You know, there's no real plans for 2.0 at this point. Don't expect that you know there's there's probably not going to be any new features where you know you know this kind of stuff and i think part of me got a little bit like bummed about that just because i think my natural reaction was to sort of be like oh like i like new features new features are cool like new features have to be have to be good right they have to be better because they're new and so my like knee-jerk reaction was to be like a little bit not not even bummed but just like Oh, like that's a, that's a that's that's too bad. Like it would be nice to you know Apple Keynote style, see like what the new interesting thing is going to be every year. One or whatever. more thing. Yeah, yeah, or something like that, right? Like a product pitch. And then I, you know, took thirty seconds and thought about it, and I was kind of I I was very comfortable with that. Like I think that that's like a totally great approach, um, and I think that's a good thing for the language overall.
1: I mean, most of the people there don't need a product pitch, and I really dislike product pitch talks. So coming from Someone who's, you know, the leader of the language getting up there and saying, hey, here's the things we tried and the mistakes we've made makes it OK for other people to experiment and makes it OK for people to fail. And it shows that he's human.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I, I think that his talk not only like is motivating and hey, look at the things you can learn. But even if I don't know a ton and can't do everything perfect the first time it's okay to play it's okay to experiment it's okay to fail there's lo- there's learning to be had
0: and I, I just liked the I liked the idea that you know yeah like this core is pretty good and now we need to go shore up a bunch of the libraries we need to go build new libraries we need to go try new things and that can all happen external of elixir it doesn't need to happen it doesn't need to be blessed the the core team or whatever you all go build stuff and see what we can do and, let, and let's push the language i think that's a that's like a scary thing in a lot of ways because it's easier to have some you know benevolent visionary kind of driving the force there and it's a little bit scarier to turn it over to the community in the, in the, in it as much as you know, like it's not that you like lose control of it, but you know you're you're sort of saying like the path is in your hands. Like, is this going to be a success? Is going to be a failure? Are we going to build interesting things? Are we not? We're going to kind of kind of lean into what we have. You know, that can be a little bit interesting from the point of view of giving that over to the community.
1: Yeah, I, I I do too because if they get into the core, it's almost like they're blessed, and then there's less competition to figure out a better way to do it. And instead, what somebody does at that point is they just go write another language. That's <laughs> that's what I think so in a lot of ways yeah I, I appreciate this because I think it will drive more packages more competition I think that's we're getting to a point in the language where we need to have some more things pushing the, the language to grow and I think leaving it open for new packages and and people to experiment will push that yeah
0: yeah yeah I think so too so what was your favorite talk and you can say hallway
1: the the hallway was pretty awesome
0: the hallways pretty good the, the hallway was really good and so hall
1: yeah, I, liked write, I like writing code, and Claudio sat down and wrote code with me, or looked at code anyway, so that was pretty awesome. Thank him for doing that. Talks. I would have to say, really, that, that property testing talk
0: was pretty good. Michael's?
1: Yeah, and I loved the way it was presented. That made it awesome. And then I was just really impressed with the nerves training, so it's... I know we talked about both of those already, but I think that that hallway Michael's talk about properties picking properties and the nerve stuff or it's pretty hard to choose between those okay i have to choose hallway because i i like sitting down with people and working side by side and that's what i got to do so that was pretty awesome
0: nice how about you um the hallway was pretty good i think if i had to pick a talk talk the one about using property-based tests to do net splits and find bugs in phoenix presence
1: is that the dis- breaking distributed
0: little Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when I got sucked into a conversation. For I'm
1: I'm looking through my agenda on the HUVA app, and that I had it checked to go to, and I didn't make it.
0: That one was that one's pretty good, definitely for like the the outcomes and the stories of like the stuff that they found in Phoenix presence. Like they found this hilarious bug, which I don't even know that I can adequately describe because I'm not sure that anybody totally understood exactly what the problem was. <laughs> There was some bug in Phoenix Presence where if you added 52 users to one node and then removed 51 of them, then that final user never propagated to any of the other nodes. Like it broke, it broke propagation. I heard people and talking it was about that specifically, like those numbers. Like it only worked if. It only reproduced the bug if it was those numbers or like uh, it was like some or if it was like 50 users like there was some number at which it it broke the bucketing or something like that uh that phoenix presence uses under the <laughs> were they using stream
1: data to test no, that they're using proper
0: they're using proper and they were actually I believe spinning up nodes in docker containers and then segmenting the network via ip tables so they're just like severing connections between docker containers to try to induce these failures. So,
1: sounds like uh, I need to go watch this talk today on one, 1. 1.5 speed.
0: Yeah, they found a handful <laughs> of bugs in uh, Phoenix Presence. Nice. Which was interesting. Uh, and it was it was fun to hear about. Those sorts of stories are always interesting to hear about to me. But yeah, that one was pretty good. I honestly didn't go to enough of them of the rest of them to have a super strong opinion. I really like Brenda the Show, uh, James's talk uh, about uh, event sourcing, mostly because I, I thought it was a super reasonable take on event sourcing that didn't mandate, you know, here's this framework with these, you know, DDD terms and here's all the the right jargon to use to be good at event sourcing and he gave a very he explained the problem really well he explained the trade-offs that they had and the constraints of their problem and was kind of like we actually don't need any of these other guarantees that these frameworks give us and that kind of stuff and so we made the thing work for our use case and here's what we learned by doing it I I just thought that I thought that was a well-delivered talk just because of the it it actually discussed a lot of the trade-offs that they had to make and when they in I think that gets lost a lot of times when people talk about applying these sorts of patterns is the subtlety of what is your use case and what do you have to do you know what goal are you trying to achieve and do you need all the other baggage that you're about to adopt from all these other things you know from adopting like a framework or whatever so i thought that was um that was a i thought i appreciated that take on it
1: talk number two added to my list to watch (laughs) <laughs> did you go to any talks that might change what you do because for me the yeah, i didn't go to it when i was there but i watched it the architecting flow talk actually made me think about some areas of my system that that would work really well for not like let's go redo the whole system with this way of doing things which i think would be bad anyway it's, it's got some some uh macro programming in there but i think well b- bootstrapping for a NERVS project. There's quite a bit to do whenever you're spinning up Linux and turning on all kinds of ports and stuff like that. And I think it would work really well for that. So he has a token API in there where you, you're passing passing a token along and building up a, a set of data and changing it before using that to propagate data somewhere or do all kinds of things. Like the token itself is a piece of data that tells you where to go in your path instead of, hey, do this one thing and chain add this to the data database do this other thing and add this to the database instead it's like let's process all this data and then just make one push to the database one push to turn on networking or whatever so i thought that was pretty cool then one of the last talks was uh scaling concurrency without getting burned with alex Garbe, is in, in case in casey with me so yeah friend of the show he's shh, i better not tell him that that he's friend of the show i have i have uh elixir meet up here tonight that I'm gonna to try to go too. So he had a, a a good talk, I think. Talked a little bit about tasks and dealing with concurrency and a lot of things that OTP buys you and like where you can fall down and how to overcome those things. So I I appreciate that talk quite a bit. And it was in the Grand Paul room, you know, right before the final keynote. I'm sure sure he was he was probably not nervous at all through the whole conference with that coming up, but he did a great job.
0: Nice. Excellent. I did feel bad for the the guy who gave the talk on Texas. I don't even know what that is. It's uh, Phoenix Live. It's Phoenix Live View, but it's not called Phoenix Live View. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's it achieves the same thing. It, they have different trade-offs, but it, it achieves the same the same ends, which I mean, and it also achieved this. I mean, there was a project called Drab, right? There's already a project called Drab that does a similar thing. The whole goal being that you don't have to write JavaScript stuff. You just sort of get to control the client via Phoenix th- or, uh, or you know, elixir things and you know Texas is a different flavor of that Phoenix Live View is a different flavor of that and um I like that that gives choices his talk was like two talks before Chris talked about Phoenix Live View <laughs> uh and and if you didn't go
1: to his talk like yeah it would probably be overshadowed a little bit just because of who Chris is?
0: I mean, it has the word Phoenix on it, so it doesn't matter. Whatever, how, whatever popular, however popular, any of these other tools are, like Phoenix Live View, will get the traction. You know, that's just how it goes. Like the, you know, this is a rich get richer problem. If you have people who use your stuff, if you then build a new thing, people are going to be inclined to build your stuff. I mean, uh, uh Paul was talking about this, a uh, friend of the show, a guest of the show,
1: Paul Schoenfelder.
0: I uh, was talking about this. Like he was saying that he can't, he literally can't put any public GitHub repos up without almost immediately getting a bunch of stars and people watching the repo and stuff like that, just because you know, popular in the elixir community.
1: First world problems, Paul. First
0: world problems. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think uh, it's it's interesting for sure. I, I felt bad for the guy. I sat next to him on the plane home, and he seemed he actually seemed very chill about the whole thing he's kind of like you know if phoenix live view it comes out and people want to use that instead of texas that's fine that's kind of his take on it so i I appreciated his he was pretty chill about it wasn't too he didn't seem too distraught over putting a bunch of time into a thing and then only to have it sort of be possibly supplanted yeah before it even saw like before like you know it's like you you're like you unveil this thing you've been working on and then the, the very next talk is like someone with like a huge presence who's like actually i also built that thing
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair i don't think there was any ill will coming from chris on that i think it just happened to be
0: yeah i'm not trying to imply that
1: but no no i didn't think you were either but i do like the one thing that you said there was that they have different trade-offs at least it wasn't like we did the exact same thing i literally with a copy
0: name. and pasted this code but i renamed it phoenix live view
1: <laughs> i didn't mean that either i was not implying that I just mean that they didn't have exactly the same approach, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you might actually want to look at both of those and see which one works better for you.
0: Oh, I think that's all. Yeah, that's always true. You always want to do that kind of analysis to figure out what trade-offs you're about to adopt.
1: It's just hard sometimes whenever one of them is linked to something that's big.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, the writing's on the wall a little bit, just in terms of marketing. But you know, i you know, you never know. Lots of things supplant other things.
1: Well, look at what happened with Rails and Merp. They ended up merging. Maybe we, Maybe we're seeing the beginning of the same kind of thing with Texas and Phoenix Live, and we'll get something better from them, both of them.
0: I'm not so sure how inclined I am to couple. There's a class of web apps where I don't feel personally very comfortable coupling them to a persistent connection and requiring a persistent connection to make the UI go, so to speak. I think that that might be asking a lot, depending on the application that you have.
1: Because Phoenix Live is using channels.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's using channels. I mean, but I think all these things to some degree use some sort of persistent connection. And I just don't know how comfortable I personally am with that, depending on the problem. Like if you've got mobile clients that you're dealing with. I don't know how comfortable I am requiring that to be there. And you're going to want to have really good escape hatches to fall back to something more reliable and to have the app like work offline when it doesn't have that connection because the because you know, realistically the only reason to have a persistent connection is to make the is to make the application seamless like you don't ever want to like see a page transition you just want to be able to like move through this application without and it can just pull in new data as it needs it and that kind of stuff or be you know have data shoved down to it over the wire and I just don't know like for a lot of things like i think that that's a, a real recipe for pain if you couple that to a network connection especially on like flaky 3g mobile clients or something like that you know or my old house where I was in the middle of the country. yeah, yeah like there's certain you know dep- You really got to think that one through. I don't think people necessarily always realize that you know the browser as soon as you start putting state in the browser and you start acquiring a persistent connection you know you've made a distributed system and the browser is part of it or the client like your an iphone or an android app is part of that distributed network now
1: welcome to cap theorem
0: yeah <laughs> well you have to start making some real trade-offs um which might be worthwhile to do but you know it's that's not a thing you want to go into lightly i think anyway maybe i'm wrong it seems like i'm wrong because everybody else just, just doesn't care and they're going for it so <laughs> those people are probably right and i'm probably wrong you know but i could totally see us, you know, there are certain admin pages like we have at work where um i think it would make sense to use something like that probably if you know for us given our skill sets as like back-end people that's probably it's probably faster for us to turn out a ui using elixir things than not that's the only place where i could where i see myself using this stuff but part of that's because like i'm so far removed from anything that lo- resembles a client like i don't build I, I build apis that talk to apis in so many ways you know build front ends. Yeah, I'm I'm like one to two layers removed from a front end in a lot of ways.
1: Uh, I've I've done both, but the last 2 years in doing all the embedded I barely touch any front end stuff anymore. So I think if I had to do a front end and couldn't just write HTML and send it from the front page right now I'd probably pull in Elm. I did Angular 1 so I hated every moment of it so Angular 2 I like don't even want to try even though everybody says it's way better and they learned all their lessons from Angular 1. I'm a little jaded I guess there. Did a little bit of React on on a project that had 10,000 bugs before I walked into it and you had to fix bugs before you could ever add a feature so... Just the idea of having a really strongly typed, at least I would learn
0: something there. One point of order, and I love you, and I don't want to be this guy. The word strongly typed doesn't mean anything.
1: Okay. Well, actually.
0: Well, <laughs> um, actually. You just um, well actually
1: me with a, a different.
0: But with love in my heart. Yeah. Uh huh. <sighs> I'll link you to the Gary Bernhardt blog post on it. It's really good. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, you you know my intention behind those words. Uh, yes, so.
0: absolutely. Okay. <laughs> but I just figured while we were in the privacy of this podcast, I would gently correct you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Where nobody can hear it. Exactly. Uh I mean, I will say I um I would not reach for Elm ever. But that's me. Like that's 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 my own preferences for that stuff. We'll
1: have to talk about that sometime. This is not
0: an Elm or front end podcast, sir. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I have to go teach math. Oh, uh, okay.
1: Because I, I mean, we've been we've been on here for a while, but you had to go fix production problems. I think I think uh, title of the podcast: production problems.
0: You don't want to call you don't want to call the show Foot Marbles. Foot Marbles. Oh, that might be better. <laughs> uh, overall. It was a good time. Elixir comp was a fun time. I feel like I did not have enough time to see all the people that I wanted to see. Everybody I got to hang out with, I just perpetually felt like I didn't have enough time to talk with them.
1: Like the three of us, you, Anna, and I, didn't... You, Anna, and me? You, and me? You, and me hanging out? You, Anna, and me? Yeah, you, Anna, and me. It sounds weird, but we we didn't get to hang out that much, and I really wanted to. But at least you finally ran into people at the airport who were at the conference, right? Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on that. It's the first time for everything, exactly, and and we'll get another chance coming up at Gig City. Yeah, yeah. And I saw a Twitter message saying that they still had minority scholarships available, so people should get out there and jump on that. And oh, you're also going to Strange Loop, right?
0: I am going to be at Strange Loop, uh, not next week, but the week after. I will see you at Strange Loop. Oh yes, very I'm fun.
1: Hitting Strange Loop and the Erling ICFB.
0: Nice. If any of our Elixir friends are at Strange Loop, they should come up and say hi. That's right. This will be out before Strange Loop, right?
1: It should be. If you're an outlaw, come on up.
0: We have stickers still. We have we have stickers. Lots and lots of stickers. <laughs> I, have... I gave away all my stickers. Did you really? Yeah, just about. I think I'm down to like five.
1: You had a hundred stickers. Yeah,
0: gave them all away. Yeah, I did not. But I have like another
1: 300 in a bag. Stingy with the stickers. <laughs> anyway, they're my stickers. I'm kidding. No, I just didn't want bring the whole bag downstairs and pile a bunch of stickers on everybody, and and then you have to deal with getting them home without bending them. I had a big padded envelope for them, so I'll I'll bring you more. It's strangely, yeah, I'm almost
0: out, so I need to replenish my stash of stickers. We might actually have to make another order. Sticker stash.
1: And and remember, people, even though Chris has a beard and is way taller in person than he is in audio, freakishly tall, freakishly tall, huge. It's like he's like Robert Wadlow's twin and it's strangely you're right across the river from Robert Wadlow's home. Maybe you should go visit, but Chris is a nice guy and you can approach him. <laughs> and I'm going to make a promise Chris and you're going to have to keep it.
0: Okay. I'm not sure if I'm ready for this.
1: Chris promises to not well actually you. If I you only do that him. to
0: I only do that to to Amos. Amos is the only <laughs> one who gets that treatment.
1: Oh man. All right, well. All I right, appreciate go teach math. Uh, coming in today. Thank you very much. I I missed. We we haven't recorded in like three weeks because we've been running all over, and then we had one of the podcasts. Two of them got corrupted. So oh yeah, yeah. That I guess one bad. of them just got outdated. So I was like, we're not going to release talking about going to ElixirConf after
0: ElixirConf right, 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 started. Right. So seems, seems loose. Seems like a bad strategy. Yep. <laughs> all right. All right. Have a good one. Later, man. All right. Take it easy.